412 welcome back again if you hear a low hum or a whistle that is my heater it is freezing cold in here if you were at grace 412 last night you know it was about 61 degrees in the cafe which is um not super comfortable and so thanks for braving that with us we were in part three of our series counterculture we talked about joshua and caleb i reminded the students that we're not talking about being the enemies of anything new or different or cultural culture is just the way of life for a group of people at a specific time in a specific place but what we're talking about in this counterculture series is about standing up and standing out for our faith we're talking about going against the grain going against the norm and living a life fully in pursuit of Jesus and his will and his plan and his example and his design and so uh, last night we talked about fighting a culture of fear with faith and it's easy when we do that for us to look at the outside world and think like, oh, they're driven by fear. But if we really examine ourselves and the culture we've created, even within the church, we have to acknowledge that Christians are some of the most fear-filled people that we'll ever encounter. And so when we talk about uh, the people of Grace 412 or the people of Grace the Church or even uh, the Christians in the world today standing up and making a difference— one of the ways that we can stand up and go against the culture that is being created is by being a faith-filled group of people, a faith-filled group of leaders. And so we studied Numbers chapter 13 and chapter 14 last night. We studied another familiar story about the Israelite people. If you know the story, God has led them out of bondage. He's led them through the wilderness. He's led them through battles and through struggles. He's led them to this place called Kadesh Barnea. They're right on the borderlands, about to enter into the land that God has promised to them. But instead, uh, if you know the story, they doubt God and they abandon the plan. And this is the moment where the Israelite people go from pursuit into wandering. It's important for us to make this distinction that the difference between fear and faith is often the difference between pursuit and wandering. A lot of Christians today in this church, even in our families, in our youth groups, uh, we, we surround ourselves with Christians who are wandering. We're unsure what we should do. We're scared to make the wrong choice. We're scared to make any choice at all. We're scared to move. We're scared not to move. We're scared to change. We're scared to stay the same. And like the Israelites, instead of pursuing God, instead of resting in his promises, instead of for us resting in the work of Jesus, right, for us New Testament believers, we're lost. We're wandering. We're living in fear. We're, we're living without a plan or without hope. And so last night we looked at the familiar example of a couple guys named Caleb and Joshua, and we looked at how it was that they made a difference by being different. And so Numbers chapter 13 and verse 17, we didn't read all the verses because there's just too much to cover, but uh, we, we kind of told the story and studied out what we can do differently. And so Numbers 13 and verse 17, it says this, Moses sent them, the men, to spy out the land of Canaan and said unto them, get you up this way southward and go up into the mountain and see the land, what it is, the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak, many or few, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, what cities they be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds, and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not, and be you of good courage, 
and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. And so Moses tells these 12 men to go spy out the land of Canaan. And if you know the old church song, 10 were bad and two were good, right? Moses gets 12 men, among whom are Joshua and Caleb. And he says, hey, go spy this land out. And notice he tells them, verse 18, let me know if the people there are big or strong. Let me know if there's warriors there, if there's a lot of them, or if there's only a few of them. Verse 19, he tells them, hey, let me know if they have strongholds or if they dwell in tents. Let me know what kind of, uh, of, of defense they have right? And then he tells them, verse 20, let me also know how the land is. Are there good resources there? Is it inhabitable? Bring back examples even, he says, verse 20. And then at the end of verse 20, he says, and be you of good courage when we're unsure of what lies ahead, determined to look through the lens of courage. Moses tells them, hey, I want you to sell, to tell me if these things are here. I want you to tell me if the men are, are strong or not. I want you to tell me if they have a lot of soldiers or not. I want you to tell, tell me if they have strongholds or not. But I also want you to tell me about the good of the land. And then he ends by saying, be of good courage. When we're unsure what lies ahead, determined to look through the lens of courage. If the Israelite people had been looking through the eyes of faith, through the eyes of courage, they would have seen that God had already given them this land. That's why if you skip down to verse 22, it says these men ascended south up by the south and came unto Hebron. And then later it says Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And it's interesting and important that Zoan and Hebron are listed because this is where Abraham, back in Genesis 13, 14, and 15, fought the five kings and won a victory. And Hebron was the land given to Abraham years before. And so these Israelite spies would have known this These Israelite people would have known the land of Hebron. This was the story that Abraham told of the promises of God to his people. They knew this, but they weren't looking through the eyes of faith or through the eyes of courage. They were looking through the eyes of fear, and fear keeps us from seeing the fruit. Moses told them, hey, let me know how strong the enemy is. But he also said, let me know how fruitful the land is. And he says, be of good courage. You go down to verse 27 and you see the report. They came back and they told him and they said, we came unto the land where the left sent us and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. And so they come back with examples and they say, hey, listen, the land is incredible. It does flow with milk and honey. The fruit is incredible. But then they say, verse 28, Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled, and they're very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. They said, yes, the land is good. Nevertheless, yes, the land is good. But, and if we're not careful, we, just like them, will let that word but get in the way of our faith-filled living. We say things like, I know God can provide, but I'm scared. I know God's taking care of me before, but this is different. I know I should forgive, but what if I get hurt again? I know I should trust the Lord, but I don't see how this is going to work out. We all have that fear-filled word, whether it's nevertheless or but or just. I'll say a nice thing, but then I'll say, but they just. Yeah, the night went well. I just wish. Yeah, they're getting better. They just still... And we have these trigger words and these trigger statements where we say, yes, God is good. Yes, God is faithful, but I want to live in faith. But, and these people were driven 
by that instead of their faith. But you look at the difference in Caleb's response to theirs. It says, Caleb stilled the people before Moses. And sometimes when fear is driving, we have to just be still for a moment. Caleb stilled the people. He said, hey, let's, we got to calm down. And he said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb says, hey, we can overcome this land. It's, it's ours to take, to possess. But then in verse 34, it says again, but the men that went up with him said, we are not able to go up against these people, for they are stronger than we. You see, Caleb saw the land. He saw the opportunity. He said, hey, we can possess this land. But they saw something else. In fear, the obstacles eclipse opportunities. In faith, the obstacles are the opportunities. Caleb, he quieted the people. He was 40 at the time. He was 80 when they finally went up and conquered this land. But the other men said, we can't do it. The obstacles got in the way. They eclipsed the opportunity at hand. And because of those 10 men, because of those uh, 10 spies, because of the majority, all of the people began to change their mind and say, oh no, we can't conquer the land. The people you surround yourself with play a vital role in your perspective. A lot of times we talk about, oh, the majority is always right. The reality is the majority isn't even usually right. That's the entire point of counterculture about living counter to the majority. The majority saw a big people and a little God, but Joshua and Caleb saw big people and an even bigger God. They saw an opportunity for God to do his work, but the majority led the way in fear-filled living. Verse 33, and there, were, there we saw giants, this is the spies again, the sons of Anak, which came of, of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. They said, hey, we were like grasshoppers in our own sight compared to them, and I, I bet you that's what we look like to them too. And then you go all the way to chapter 14, it keeps going. So all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would to God that we would have died in the land of Egypt, or would God that we would have died in the wilderness? And wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land, to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be prey? Were it not better for us to have just returned to Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain, and let us return to Egypt. They said it would be better for us to just have remained in captivity, to have just died in the wilderness. Fear keeps you from remembering God's faithfulness. It's just like we talked about with David. When, when fear uh, comes to the front of our minds, we have to remember God's faithfulness. These people forgot about the miracles that God had done. They forgot about how they were in bondage, how they were being oppressed, how they were seen as less than human, how they were away from God's perfect promise in Egypt, being persecuted, being enslaved. They forgot about the plagues God used to free them out of that bondage and release them from Egypt's captivity. They forgot about how God parted the Red Sea, how he led them by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They forgot how God had given them all they needed through manna and then eventually even through birds to eat. And they forgot how he had led them all the way to this place through the battles, through the struggles, through the challenges. And they, he has led them to this place only for them to say, I wish we were back in bondage. God doesn't seem to have a plan for these giants. God doesn't seem to have a plan anymore. 
God's just going to let us die here. It would have been better that we were back where we started. In fear, we create a reality through the worst possible scenario. In faith, we acknowledge reality, but we recognize that all things are possible. In, in fear, we, the, the lies that we tell ourselves are, are usually the worst case possible scenario. They said, God led us all this way just to let us be slaughtered by giants. In faith, we acknowledge reality. Joshua and Caleb acknowledged the enemy was strong. You go back and they acknowledge that, but they said, we are able to overcome this. They knew God was able. You see this in Numbers 14 as well. In Numbers 14 and verse 24, it says, My servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, has followed me fully. Him will I bring into the land whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Sometimes we need to acknowledge the pain of the problem and say, Hey, I don't know how God is going to work this out, but I trust him. Like Caleb, I'm going to follow him fully. And you know the story. God tells the Israelite people, Hey, you know what? You wanted to die in the wilderness, and that's what's going to happen. And he, he told them, you're going to wander, you're literally going to die off, and the next generation, your children, they'll enter into the promised land. But you get to the end of chapter 14, and they're like, you know what, never mind, God, we're, we're going to take your promise. <laughs> we're going to take your offer. We're going to take your plan. And so they go out, and they try to do battle in their own strength, the end of Numbers chapter 14, and they're defeated. Many of them are slaughtered and die just that very next day. Many of them uh, do return, retreat, and end up wandering in the wilderness, and you see that story for the next 40 years and you wonder why couldn't they have defeated the enemy I thought God gave them that victory because if it's not God's plan you can't force it and if it is God's plan you can't stop it if it's not God's will or God's plan you can't force it and if it is God's will or God's plan you can't stop it these people said God we want to do it our way now we, we don't want to wander, so we're going to go ahead and try to conquer them on our own. And God said, I'm not going to allow that. Apart from me, as Jesus says, you can do nothing. So you fast forward 40 years, and as God said, they're back at the edge of the promised land again. Joshua chapter 2, Joshua is now in command. He sends only two spies into Jericho, right? They meet Rahab. She hides the two spies. And then look at Joshua chapter 2 and verse 9, what she has to say. Rahab says unto the men, Joshua 2 verse 9, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites what were on the other side that were on the other side of Jordan Sihon and Og whom you utterly destroyed and as soon as we had heard these things our hearts did melt neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you for the Lord your God he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath the enemy had more fear of the Lord and the Israelite people, remember what they said in Numbers 13? We were like grasshoppers in our sight and in theirs. They saw us as grasshoppers. But look what she says in Joshua chapter 2. Hey, as soon as we heard these things, our heart melted and there remained no courage in any man. Why? Because your God is the God in heaven above and in the earth beneath. The Israelite people had lived by faith and lived in such a way that God's work in their lives became a testimony to those that did not know God. Faith-filled living is a platform for people to see God at work. 
And eventually the Israelite people, they do take Jericho. You know the story. They take the surrounding land. They're finally in the promised land. And you fast forward one last time in this story to Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14, Caleb is now 85 years old. And he tells Joshua in verse 11, Hey, I'm just as strong as the day you and I searched out this land to begin with. But then you get to Joshua chapter 14 and verse 13, and it says, Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh, Hebron for an inheritance. Joshua blessed and gave Hebron to Caleb. Why is this significant? Because Hebron was initially given to whom? To Abraham. And he said, God said, I'm going to make you a great nation and your people will inhabit this land. It was given to the Israelite people. But remember, the Israelite people on first try doubted God, right? And they were made to wander. What's interesting is Genesis 13, 14, and 15, there was a Kenizzite tribe that is mentioned in chapter 15. And they dwelled in that land that God had promised to Abraham. Okay. And on three different occasions in the Bible, Caleb is referred to as a Kenizzite. He's listed in the tribe of Judah in Numbers 13 and 14, but initially he was a Kenizzite. And so somewhere along the way, uh, Caleb and and or the Kenizzite tribe was somehow brought into this tribe. Another interesting note is Caleb in Hebrew is K-A-L-E-V. It's the same word spelling that, that kind of means two different things. So it means wholehearted, faithful, bold, uh, but the same word said a different way also means dog. And there's some discrepancy about um, how this plays out in Caleb's specific name. But what's interesting is New Testament the Gentiles, the non-Jews are referred to as dog. And so somewhere along the way, Israel gave up what God had exclusively given to them, the place of Hebron. And people like Caleb, like Boaz, were brought in, not just into any tribe, but the tribe of Judah, the tribe that Jesus came from. And so this guy, Joshua, whose name is Yahashua, that means God is deliverance or God saves is in Hebrew the same as Yeshua or Jesus. This guy, Joshua, gives to Caleb a land promised to the Israelite people, and he is allowed to enter in and have this inheritance that was promised to the Israelite people. And this is this beautiful picture of what happens to us now at salvation, that we can become the people of God, the children of God, that there is therefore now neither Jew nor Greek nor male nor female nor bond nor free, but we are all in Christ. What a perfect picture. And so what's the point in all this? That even back in the Old Testament, God is proving his eternal plan to say, even when people reject me, even when fear seems to overcome faith, even when doubt seems to win, even when the wait is long, I will remember and reward those people who put their faith in me. And that's what you see in Numbers 14, 24. Caleb had another spirit within him and followed me fully. Him will I bring into the promised land. Caleb's eyes were on the prize. For us, our eyes on the prize is eternity. We, we think about Philippians 3, Paul saying, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Then knowing Jesus is the goal, is the prize, is the eternal reward. And so how do we stand out? How do we combat a culture of fear? How do we live in faith? By keeping our eyes on Jesus, by living a life in pursuit instead of wandering, a life of faith instead of fear, and by looking at all of life through the lens of God's faithfulness and ultimately his faithfulness in and through the work of Jesus.
I hope that we'll be able to do that this week. Next week, Sean is going to be teaching on Noah. I'll be doing the worship table event on January 28th, and then I'll be preaching on Sunday, January 30th. And so I hope to see you guys at a couple of those things. We'll talk next week. Thank you.